Well, this morning, as Jake mentioned earlier, we are launching into a new short series during the month of Advent. We're going to be studying the Psalms of Ascent. And in case you're not familiar with the Psalms of Ascent, they are Psalms 120 through Psalm 134, and they were sung at a particular time in the calendar of Israel. As the people of Israel made various pilgrimages, usually three times a year, they would travel from their homes to the city of Jerusalem where the temple was. And as they approached the city, Jerusalem is on a plateau. So whenever you came to the city, you began walking uphill. That's why they're called Psalms of Ascent. So to ascend to the house of the Lord, I will go up to the house of the Lord. Going up meant that you were going to Jerusalem. And these were the songs that God's people sang as they made their way to festival, to gatherings, as they came to worship. So what these psalms are helpful with is reorienting our hearts as we move from where we are to where we need to go. And we thought during the month of December and during the season of Advent that these psalms would be really helpful to think about a spiritual reorientation. We're all on a journey, and these are the psalms for that journey. Well, today, to lead off our uh, sermon series on the Psalms of Ascent, I'm so pleased that today we have Dr. Charles Ware, who's going to be unpacking Psalm 121. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 121. For those of you who've been around at College Park for a while, you know Dr. Ware has been a member here for years, a man that we love, um, and we are so thankful for him. Amen. His, his wife, Sharon, passed away. Uh, tomorrow will be one year, and we miss her dearly, and we're thankful that during this particular week that Dr. Ware was willing to come and open God's word uh, for us. For those of you that are new to the church, uh, Dr. Charles Ware serves as the executive director of Grace Relations and special assistant to the president of, college, of the College of Biblical Studies. He's the founder of Grace Relations, is an international speaker, has written a number of books, and prior to coming to the College of Biblical Studies, he was the president and president emeritus for decades at Crossroads Bible Church. So I'm really honored that uh, Dr. Ware is willing to unpack for us Psalm 121. Would you welcome our brother to the pulpit today? Well, thank you. <clears throat> it's a privilege to be here, and I want to first off say I thank God for College Park. Um, Sharon and I have been ministered to here for years, and when we come from the singing to the preaching all the way through, I'm blessed. I've had some people say that when they're mate past, they couldn't come back to church. I understand that. I, sometimes I'm crying. Sometimes I'm remembering things, but uh, I love this church. It is ministered to our family. <clears throat> I love the leadership here. I see the leadership at this church as being humble, authentic, godly, committed to the Bible, strategic in their thinking, and the church is growing. They want us to be the people of God that God wants us to be. So I just want to start off by saying that, that I'm, <clears throat> I'm thankful for the church. As Mark said, I am founder of Grace Relations as a minister of College of Biblical Studies. 
I was the president of Crossroads Bible College for, I think, 27, 28 years. We merged with the College of Biblical Studies in 2019, and its reason for that is the mission statements. I felt that their mission statements, like our mission statement, and I'd had a quadruple open heart bypass surgery, and I wanted... I should move on, whatever, whatever. But anyway, we, jo- we join, and the mission statement is simply this. The College of Biblical Study exists to glorify God by educating and equipping multi-ethnic Christian leaders to impact the world for Christ. And I like to say that my claim to fame is the students we train. And if you didn't know it, Jeff Brown is one of our graduates. So is Brad Merchant. And we got some others around here. So when they preach and I just sit down and say, Woo, go, go ahead. Man. <laughs> and um, as a college, we try to live out our statement. We believe in truth, training, and transformation. And I know a lot of ministries now and businesses, they're trying to get more diverse and all of that. Well, we already have that. In 2020, our, our ethnic diversity in our college, 45% African-American, 29% Latino, 17% white, and the rest was others. So, so I just praise God for that and Glad to be a part of that mission and and try and impact our world for the glory of God. We're here this morning to kick off this Advent series, and Advent is the idea of waiting. Pastor Mark has been preaching through uh, Revelations, and he said that one of the goals of Revelation is to prepare us for the difficulties, the hardship, that we would persevere. A lot of Christians have the idea that Christianity means that everything's going to be nice and rosy and everything's going to work out for you. And um, he wants us to understand that there's a longing, there's a waiting, as there was for the first advent, the birth of Christ. There was a longing, there was a waiting, and, and there was weeping and crying. And Israel went through all kinds of ups and downs before Christ came. And now we're waiting for Christ to return. He's not going to return as a baby. He's going to return as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as our pastor has said to us, that can fix us. Because on the one hand, we'll be so glad to see sin dealt with and justice meted out and all those type of things. But on the other hand is judgment. And so we kind of, you know, we're conflicted with those two thoughts. And so we come to this Advent uh, series that they put in here for us to look at to get our perspective straight. November 7th, I flew out to Houston, Texas to attend, first of all, a president's council, a president's cabinet meeting, rather, on November 8th. And then I was supposed to leave there and go to Dallas, Texas, and speak at a multi-ethnic ministry conference. I think it was either late on the 7th or early on the 8th that I received a text message that our son, Matt, was taken to the hospital. I decided I needed to fly back here on November 8th instead of going to Dallas. And as I came back, quite frankly, the thought hit my mind. You're going to do your son's funeral. Perhaps on the same day that his mother passed. And that was a difficult thought. But I came back, and now I'm standing before you. Sensing somewhat as 
Some of the Israelites probably did. They were going through hardships and troubles. And, and as they were going up to worship, they, they had these songs that they sang that would bring their mind back to God, who he is and what he'd done for them. And so Psalm 121 is what I'm dealing with today. And it's my help comes from the Lord. I want to read this psalm, and I want to work my way through it fairly quickly, and then I want to put some applications down the way God has applied this type of concept in my life over the years. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where, comes, where, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on the right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will, he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I took a simple outline from John MacArthur, verses one and two, God is our helper. Verses three and four, God is our keeper. Verses five and six, God is our protector. And then seven and eight, God is our preserver. Where do you turn in difficult times? Your heart's broken. Life's unfair. Society's gone crazy. These individuals, as they would make these trips, as Pastor Mark said, three times a year in celebration, and they're, they're going up to Jerusalem where the presence of God was to be. Verses 1 and 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I'd like to ask you, to whom do you pray? These individuals, as they're going up, and some of them in hardship and difficult times in Israel's history, and they're going up to the God of Israel. They're climbing up that, 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 that mountainside and want to get to that plateau where the presence of God was supposed to be there in Israel. And it says that I will, I will call unto the Lord. I will cry out to the Lord. He is my helper. But who is this Lord? He is the maker of heaven and earth. I don't know who you pray to. I don't know who you depend on. When you think everything's gone, everything's wrong, nothing can happen, it's all shot. You don't believe in the God who made the heavens and earth. He made this entire galaxy, this universe. What is your problem in light of who he is? He is our, he is our helper. We're crying out to God. I tell people, you, some of you crying out to the government, crying out to education, crying out to the business world, crying out to the entertainment world. I bypass the White House and I go to God's house. He's the one who's in control. I always got entrance in there. I approach him in the name of Jesus Christ and, and God listens and, and we can be there. And you, you, you and I need to, need to get with this and pray and listen to music and be stirred and, and, and have our faith built. And no, 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 no. When I've got a problem, I go to God Almighty. He's the creator of the heavens and earth. In fact, the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? We have a wonderful God and he's our helper as he, were, as he was their helper. It also says here, he's the keeper. 
In verses three and four, it says he's our keeper. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It's wonderful to have a God who made the heavens and earth be so concerned about us. Says he won't let your foot be moved, but he who keeps you will not slumber nor sleep. He doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't lose concentration. He's got you on his mind. He's got you on his heart. And he's with you 24-7, day, night, wherever you are. He is your God. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling people, no, 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 God Almighty. You say, well, well maybe God was asleep. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was this, this. No, 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 no. God is with us. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He takes care of his people. What a wonderful thought that is. God, God is our keeper. He keeps us. And as we walk through life and things hit us and they surprise us. But remember this, nothing surprises God. I tell people God, is, God has seen a thing or two, so therefore God knows a thing or two, right? <laughs> God knows everything about life. Nothing will ever happen to you or me that God hasn't seen before. The Bible says not only that he's our helper and our keeper, but, but God is our protector. In verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is, is your shade on the right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. But God is your protector. He protected Israel as they traveled from the sun and, and, and things that can happen to them through bad weather. He protected them at night and, and, and all that. God, God, God had them protected. God says, I'm with you. Don't worry. Nothing will destroy you. I will be with you. It's nice to know when you're walking through life that you got a God like that. The Bible says not only he's our helper and our keeper and our protector, but he's our preserver. In verses 7 and 8, it says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so Israel, as they go and they're singing this song, they're thinking about God and they're thinking about all the opposition they have from within and from without and all the enemies that they might have. But they know that God is their preserver, that the name of Israel will be preserved. And by the way, I'll say to you, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Regardless of what happens, we're all right. One of the things that Pastor Marks wants us to keep in mind is that we need to sing these songs on our journey. They sung them on their journey to the Jerusalem. We sing them on our journey through life and we should be singing when we come to church. I often, I often ask myself the question, if I got from church what I prayed for, would it make any difference? Some of us come to church, we don't expect anything. No, you should expect. You're coming here. God Almighty is here. And, and you're not looking to the pastor. You're looking to the God of the pastor because you've already prayed for the pastor that God will speak to the pastor and speak through the pastor so that God can say something to you through the pastor. But you're not trusting the pastor. You're trusting the God of the pastor. That's the way we should come to church. But then when I read through this psalm and I read through it quickly and I'm thinking, all right, God, God, you're my helper. God, you're my keeper. God, you're my protector. God, you're my preserver. And then the question comes with the hard things of life. Karl Marx said that religion is the opiate of the people. Religion is an illusion. Temptations 
sang a song about a man dreaming of this wonderful woman. He couldn't believe that she was his. And he says, it was just my imagination (laughs) running away with me. Are we the type of people who come in and read scriptures like this and sing songs like we sing? And when it comes down to the hard things of life, we say that was just an illusion. That was just my imagination. As I'm coming home from Texas and coming to my son in the hospital and I'm thinking in my mind, God, what's going on? You're supposed to be my helper. You're supposed to be my keeper. You're supposed to be my protector, my preserver. I'm going to have to do my son's funeral. On the anniversary of his mother's passing. I want you to look at this film. This summer, Matt Ware is relearning things that many of us take for granted. I can pretty much almost feed myself with a little arm support, elbow support. Two more minutes. Therapists are working with the 16-year-old who is paralyzed below the shoulders. Four months ago, Matt was running up and down the court for Heritage Christian, a promising basketball player for the Eagles varsity team. I always grew up with basketball. Everybody in the family pretty pretty much plays basketball. But a freak accident changed his life forever. I had dove for the ball, and I saved it to my friend, and I hit the mat straight on with my head. His neck was broken, but his spirit wasn't. Matt remained positive despite a devastating accident. I'm doing things that the doctors never thought I'd be able to do. Matt's faith in God drives him in therapy. I've been more of a witness for God now than I was before in the past. And um, so many people have been touched and things, which I never, you know, thought would happen. God has taken this weakness and shown his power in a very unique way. This is a special gift that Matt received from his friends at church and school. They traced their hands on this quilt and placed their names and Bible verses on it. Matt says it's that kind of support that helps push him. Go ahead and keep your elbow straight. Matt won't be playing basketball this summer. Does he miss it? There's a sense of me that does, yeah. But I figure if God wants me to play again, then I'll play. The more immediate goal is relearning to write his name legibly. I thank God for what he's given me and what he's done in the past and everything he's going to do in the future. So That was really good. So I'm coming home and I'm thinking that I might be doing my son's funeral. God causes me to reflect over his goodness and faithfulness in my life. And as I think about he being my, my helper and he's been my keeper and, and he's my protector and he's my preserver, God gave me some things to think about with, with Matt's situation that I've thought about before and I want to share with you. First of all, I want to go to Romans chapter 8 and I want to just say this to you. Those of us who've been saved by the grace of God, sometimes we get this concept in our mind, like I said before, that if I'm saved, I'm a child of God. Everything's supposed to go well. God will keep me from all trouble. That's exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. And the reason we're talking about the advent and the reason we're talking about the second coming of Christ to get our hearts prepared that we may have to go through some difficult things. Here in Romans chapter 8, the, the apostle Paul is, is talking about the groaning, the groaning of creation, the groaning of humanity for the return of Jesus Christ the second time and, 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 and 
making all the right, right things, putting things back together. So it ought to be getting rid of sin and getting rid of the, the, the consequences of sin. And, and, and he says here in verse 26, he says, we groan for that day. But in 8, 26, it says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What that is telling me is that Paul says there's time we get in situations that are so hurtful and so confusing and so perplexing. We don't even know what to pray for. But he says that even when we're in that situation, the spirit makes intercession for us. He makes intercession with groanings that we, we don't even know what we want. We don't know what we should have. But the spirit prays for us at those times. He says, he says in, in verse 27, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for, for those who love God, all those things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, in order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers. And those whom he predestinated, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You say, I got all kinds of things against me. I got my own desires against me. I got people against me. I got this against me. I got that. The, and the question is, if God is for you, who can be against you? The God who created the heavens and earth. What is people? What is government? What are all these things you say against you? What is life? What is death? Listen, Paul goes on down here to say, in uh, verse 33, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us. Christ prays for you. Christ, the Spirit of God prays through us. Christ prays for us. Man, I don't know what more can we want, but let's keep going. <laughs> he, says, he says down here in um, uh, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God or the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you, it's wonderful. The foundation is, is our faith in Christ and the love of God. God's love is permanent. God loved us when we were his enemies. God loved us when we were sinning against him. God, Christ died for us. He became one of us that he might die for us, that he might save us. 
and the foundation you and I stand on, regardless what trials we're in, it is that God gave his son up for us and God so loved us that he gave us his son. How should he not with him freely give us all things? It began for me in March of 1968. Actually, I heard the gospel when I was in seventh grade. In seventh grade, a man taught a lesson from 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things were written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. You might know you have eternal life. That man said you can know you're going to heaven before you, before you die. I walked out of that Sunday school class and that man lying. I, now, he's, he talked about grace, but I, in my mind, nobody's going to heaven unless they, you know, got to be good enough to get to heaven. I said, all these kids in Sunday school class, I'm just as good as they are. If they're going to heaven, I'm going. And, and then I, I even, at seventh grade, I came to this conclusion, nobody's perfect. Since nobody's perfect, God's got to throw a curve. And, and if, you're good, if, you, if you're gooder than that person, you make it to heaven. If you're better, you're going to hell. And so, I took some sins out of my life, what I consider sin. Now, there's a few I had to keep. You know, nobody's perfect. But, but I, I felt I'd be better on my curve. In my senior year in high school, I decided being good, that wasn't that much fun. So I started sinning to my own idea that I'd broken my curve. Monday night, one Monday night, two men came to my house, knocked on my door, and they asked me the question, if you were to die tonight, where would you go to spend eternity? I looked them dead in their eyes and I said, if God is just, I go to hell. They said, have you ever heard you're know, going to heaven? I said, yeah, I heard that. I don't believe it. They said, you believe the Bible? I said, yeah, I believe the Bible. I said, we showed you from the Bible. Would you believe it? I said, yeah. They came in my living room, took me through Romans 3.23, fall of sin and come short of the glory of God. I had no problems with that. For the wages of sin is death. I had no problem with that. But then they said, but the gift of God is eternal life to our Lord Jesus Christ. That captured my attention. They said that uh, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that if I would confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in my heart that God is raised from the dead, I would be saved. In my house on a Monday night in 1968, God saved my soul. My blinded eyes was open. My sins was forgiven. I wanted Bible. Anywhere they had Bible, I wanted. I was the first black person to be baptized in that church. My mother said, you look like a fly on a bowl of milk. I told I. I told as long as they got Bible, I'm all right. And, um, and, but, but, but that's my rock now. I know Christ saved me. He loves me. And that's what keeps me going. I heard a sermon on Romans 12, 1 and 2 as a teenager. Um, when, when, when God said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I gave God my life as a living sacrifice. It was no longer what I wanted, but what he wanted. And, and God, from that, that, that's my foundation. He is my helper because he saved me and he loved me. And then I had to figure out, well, what about these trials, Lord? What about these things that come in my life? When Matt got hurt, that, that really hit me. And I came to the conclusion that God's spirit taught me that trials didn't come to destroy us, but to develop me. And uh, in 1 Peter, I want you to read 1 Peter. This is, a, this is a, a good passage for me and you to hang on to. 1 Peter chapter 1, and starting here with verse 3. The Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that God taught me, and, and, and Matt's accident was one of those places where God just drilled into my heart. I love you, and I just want you to believe me and trust me going through these trials. I, 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 I was on the West Coast when Matt got hurt. I got a call and, and told me my son was injured, and they'd take him to the hospital. I got on the phone, and, and my wife was there, and, and, I, and she said, Matt's been hurt. It doesn't look good. I got to leave now. And, and, I, and I, I got on that plane, and I flew back in here, and um, when I got here, uh, uh, Matt was on the front page of the Indianapolis Star. He, young athlete, paralyzed, but not his faith. And the story behind that was when they got a hold of his mom and, and, and she got to the, to the high school uh, where he was and he was on a stretcher and they were taking him to the ambulance and he was there on his back and she came weeping over her son, crying over her son. And he on his back, he said, Mom, pull yourself together. <laughs> Remember God's in control. And, and that's why they wrote about him. And, and, and God just God just hit me with that. Just keep believing me. I'm taking care of you. I told God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got to leave. I got I to gotta give up my job. I, 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 I mean, the college, they want a president that can make the college known. I got to take care of my family. I don't know how I'm going to. I'm going to have to. Get, I got two, three jobs. I don't care what I got to do. And I told the board of the college, I said, look, I, I, I got to take care of my son. I got to take care of my family. And, and I, you know, I know you got to have a, co- a president to push the car. So I'm, I'm gone. They came back to me and said, no, you take as long as you want, as long as you need. You do what you got to do for your family. You're not losing your job. We're going to pay you all the way through. I said, praise the Lord for that. And then College Park Church, yeah, they took up food for me. They, get, they transported our kids to school. They did all kinds of things to encourage us. Some, some, some people created the Matwell Trust Fund. And this church on a Sunday night took up $167,000 for the Matwell Trust Fund. Some other people created a banquet. They got 150000 plus, And we got a van and we got a house given to us. My wife, my family, my daughters, daughters and, 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 and sons, they were all, I, in fact, I asked one of my sons, I said, you about to graduate. I said, I don't know how I'm going to take care of Matt and the family. Will you come back and get a job and give your money to our family until I can get on my feet? He said, yes, dad, I'll do that. But God didn't make us do that. God provided for us in so many ways. And God just reminded me, I am God almighty. Trust me. That's what you got to do. He matured my faith. That's why I can go through some things now because I can look back on what God has done. We went through some difficult times at, at the college that we attended on the whole racial issue. And, and the president of the college at that time was Bob Jones University grad. Uh, Sharon and I went down to Bob Jones University before she died and I preached at that school. I preached for Bob Jones University Press three times a year. Folks, I want to tell you, if you live long enough, you'll get to see some of the fruit of what you're planting. God has been good to us. And, and I love my small group here at, at College Park. They're wonderful. They seek the Lord. Now, I ain't, I tell people, the oldest one in there is younger than my kids. So I'm like, a, I'm Papa, I'm Papa. But they love the Lord and they want to they reach out and they help serve us and I'm thankful for it. The other thing that God taught me about that, he says, keep your faith, 
God's love is permanent. Keep your faith in the cross. He told me that trials, they mature me. And, and so, so I had God as my helper, and, and then I got God as my keeper. I, 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 I know where my help comes from because he loves me. I know that he keeps me. He develops my faith. And then God gave me this thought about it too. He said, God uses our sufferings to minister to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and starting with verse 7, Paul is testifying here, and he says, but we have this treasure in earthen jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live always are being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Listen, God is my protector. I don't care what, what, what you go to. Paul says, I've been knocked down. I've been falsely accused. I've been persecuted, all this stuff, but I know why I'm going through it. I'm going through it for your sake. You ever think that sometimes God has got you going through difficult things that you think, oh, Christians shouldn't have to go through this, but you're going through it so that other people can see you go through it and know that you have a God that they need. That's what God does. I mean, when Matt Saxon, people prayed for, I mean, probably thousands of people prayed for us. His testimony went all over the place. He was on the news. He was on the radio and TV articles, TV news, interviews, articles, books. In fact, when Billy Graham came through here for his last Billy Graham crusade here in the city, on that Saturday night, it was a youth night. They had recordings of different people, professional athletes and all this. Well, anyway, Matt's testimony was there. His testimony went literally around the world. In fact, I didn't say this in the last sermon, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> One of the things that I, I had said to God before Matt got injured, I said to God, you wasted my life. You got me going all over the country preaching. I don't know these people. I, what, I ain't making relationships with these people. You, you, you're just wasting my life. When Matt got hurt and... <laughs> It went all over the world. People were praying for us, and God said, you thought I was wasting your life. You're just stupid, that's all. I know what I'm doing. He, he, and, 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 and I've learned now. I've given God a lot of counsel through my life. He hasn't taken any of it yet, so I'm not giving it to him anymore. Last thing I want to say down here is, and, 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 and God has just hit me. Hey, Matt's not walking, but I'm still working. Matt's not walking, but I'm still working. You need to look for my hand. The last thing, God manifests his strength when we are weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, starting here with verse 7, the apostle Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, God has given him visions of heaven, so on and so forth. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should lit, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am made strong. God brought this home to me as Sharon was suffering she wasn't conscious and hospice said they'd take her home but I was scared I, was, I said I don't know I don't know what to do I don't know what, but she has problems I don't know what I'm going to do Lord I can't take care of her I, 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 I'm not a doctor I don't know and God told me he said, you never could take care of her I was taking care of her before. She, wants, she would want to be home, and you know it. So I took her home. I'm so glad I did because God was there. She peacefully passed with uh, her daughter, Karen, rubbing her head, and Tim was there with us, and, 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 and she peacefully exited this place, and, and I just thank God. But God just told me, look, your problem is you too often think you're strong enough. You need to realize that you're too weak. Because when you realize you're too weak, you come back to me and cry out to me as your helper. And I will be your preserver then. I'll keep things going right. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Let me read this to you. I see my time's running out. I got to keep, keep the time. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and um, verse, uh, chapter 1 rather, verses 8 through 12. This is what Paul said. And I want you thinking about this. Is God an illusion? Is he just your imagination? I want to tell you where I, where I am on that. The Bible says here, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, that but as, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Amen. He's not an illusion. I will cry out to him as my helper, as my keeper, as my protector, as my preserver. God is God all alone. I'm in love with Jesus. I want you to note that Matt, I prayed for him when he asked his accident after a while. Sharon and I was getting old and I prayed God bring a, bring a woman into his life that'll love him for what he, I didn't have much faith. I can tell you that right now. But God answered far beyond my expectations. Erica came along. They're married. They got a daughter uh, uh, and uh, God just blessing them today. That we also started the CSW Legacy Ministries. That's honoring the past, which is basically sharing, serving the present generation, preaching, consulting, all my grace relations, preaching, consulting, money from that goes to CSW Ministries. And I have hired Matt because I want him to get out, get, get, get out on his wheelchair and tell his amazing story. We're looking forward to that. And then we want to leave a legacy for future generations. I just want to say to you, First of all, I'm thankful for College Park. Secondly, I want to tell you this. We got an awesome God. He is our helper. He is our keeper. He is our protector. 
He is our preserver. You may think that, God, I can't take it. I don't understand what you're doing. And you're right, you don't understand, but the Spirit will pray according to the will of God as you groan and grieve. I want to say to you that it was so good. I got back. I didn't do Matt's funeral. In fact, I got back 2 a.m. that morning, 3 a.m. I got a text from Matt talking about, Dad, you didn't have to fly home. You got important work to do. I'm not on my deathbed. (laughs) All right. Thanksgiving, we had John and his wife, Shannon, and we had my daughter, uh, Karen, and we all shared Thanksgiving dinner with Matt and his family. Whew, God Almighty. Father, I want to thank you right now. I'm just overwhelmed with your goodness. I have questioned whether you were my helper at times. I've questioned whether you were my keeper at times. I've questioned whether you were my protector at times. I've questioned whether you were my preserver. But I'm here to say that by the grace and mercy of God, you have kept me on the narrow road. And I'm here to say that I declare before these people, God is good. You are good all the time. We groan. We look for the second coming of Christ. But until he comes, we believe that you'll give us the grace to be the men and women of God we ought to be. Thank you for College Park. Thank you for the saints. And thank you for yourself. In Christ's name, amen.